Well, good evening. I'm Rick Tanser. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Tanser. And tonight we've got a topic uh, that is awesome. A local man who helps veterans go back and remember what they did for our country has written two books. The way he came about writing these books is completely accidental. Um, it's a charming story. We're going to tell you about those books. We're going to tell you. We also have a gentleman coming on named Vince. He's 98 years old. He's a veteran and he's going to talk to us about life and whatever we want to know. And we're going to talk with him in just a second. So you are right here with Rick Dance. And then the sliding glass door in my master bedroom blew in my- So Upper Camp Creek is evacuated. You can't erase the mistakes of your past without erasing the wisdom of your present. And there was a fear of getting blocked in. Welcome to In Bed with Rick Dancer, your chance to climb in bed with me. It's a sad story, but it's got, it's, it's where you get to help a local veteran and his family. Kathy and I are sitting in the truck just looking at our house and we started to cry. When she took the girls, my six-year-old little girl didn't have shoes on. I'm going to take the first needle. This is going to blow you guys away. I'm going to do this right up close to you. It was his uh, daily phone calls and text messages. To have a 10-year-old kid come on and just tell us some jokes is just so super charming. We need to find these people. Well, welcome. And I'm going to bring on our guest, Mike Punchercar. And... Mike is no stranger to this, to me, to our show, to what we do, because uh, you got also, oh, let me put this in here real fast, too. I'm going to put all that information in the comment section for people when they come up. Uh, so you kind of instigated the whole beginning of Honor Flight, uh, which takes veterans back to see the memorials in Washington, D.C. Well, I instigated it here in the South Willamette Valley Honor, Honor Flight Hub we set up in this area. Uh, but National Honor Flight was actually started up back east in Ohio and has spread across the country. And uh, the main thing we do is take uh, veterans free of charge back to Washington, D.C. on their honor flights, visit their memorials and get thanked for serving their country. And we're talking about the senior veterans in this country. We started with World War II veterans, moved into Korea, and now we're doing Cold War and Vietnam veterans. So you're kind of obsessed with veterans and you didn't get to serve and your service. So what you you ended up doing is you didn't get to serve because of asthma, a medical condition. And now you're serving them um, in your later years. That's kind of cool, isn't it, Mike? Well, I tell you, no cliche intended, but I'm honored to be able to do it. So tell me about these books. So Mike calls me up a couple months, oh, a month and a half ago and says, tells me the story of how he wrote these books and about your dad and your conversation. So I'll put the books up as you're talking about whichever one we're talking about, okay? We'll be talking about the, uh, the Promise Kept. Okay, I'll put that one in there. I am a baby boomer. My dad was a World War II veteran. He uh, served with the Army Air Corps, 8th Air Force out of England. He was a radio operator on a B-17 and flew 30 combat missions over Germany toward the latter part of the war. And growing up as a kid, uh, my dad, like most veterans, didn't talk much about what they did. We watched an old TV series called 12 O'Clock High, and every once in a while he'd go, those planes with the triangle A on the tail, that was my group, the 91st Bomb Group. And other than one time when he showed me a few pictures and stuff he had in a box in the attic, really didn't talk about it. And when we looked at the stuff in the attic, it didn't take him long before he just stopped talking and closed it up and walked away. And years later, I finally realized that he was having memories that he just didn't want to recall again. But when he was uh, 76 years old, back in 1999, I went back to Wisconsin. I took him on a fishing trip. And driving back from that fishing trip, unsolicited, he said, 
You know, Mike, I remember when I enlisted in the Army Air Corps in 42, and for an hour he shared story after story, and I finally said, I mean, I was laughing. I was crying. I said, Dad, you got to. Because, Mike, you'd never heard this before. He'd never talked about it. A lot of it I had never heard before. Nobody in the family had heard it before. So I said, Dad, you got to promise to cut me a tape this winter. One story at a time. I promise you I will transcribe your tape and get it out to everybody in the family. Well, six or seven months later, this cassette tape showed up, My Years in the Army Air Corps by Frank Pungerkar. And I was working full time. I put it on a shelf right here in this office. And uh, unfortunately, in uh, 2006, cancer took my dad. And I hadn't played the tape yet. So once things settled down, we had gone through his attic and we found in an old suitcase a bunch of little black and white pictures, all kinds of papers from his time in the service and stuff. And I transcribed that story and had 12 pages typed up of what he put on that tape. And my wife, God bless her, said, I can see it in your face. There's something going on. I said, I've got 100 questions for him now. Why didn't I do this while he was alive? And with her encouragement, I started uh, traveling. I started making phone calls. I contacted the 8th Air Force Historical Society, found out the 91st Bomb Group had a web ring, and I made contact with them. And I found, I found myself on a journey that was like peeling layers off of an onion. Every time you take one off, you find something else. Right. As I traveled, I started meeting other veterans who had served in the 8th Air Force. I found two of them that served at the same base in England as my dad. And after about a year and a half of traveling, buying books, uh, videos, and DVDs, just studying everything I could about the B-17 Flying Fortress, the 8th Air Force, the air war over Europe, my wife came in and said, you've got enough crap in this office, you could write a book. And that planted the seed, and I started to organize things, and ultimately, the first book was released, and I called it The Promise Kept. What is my dad's that story? Mean? What does that mean? That was me keeping my promise to my dad to keep his story alive. And besides his story, it is a story of the air war over Europe in uh, in World War II, one that doesn't get a lot of publicity. You know, they made the movie uh, The Memphis Bell, and the remake of The Memphis Bell was 90% Hollywood. None of that stuff really happened on that plane. But anyways, uh, in my travels and meeting these veterans and getting this book published, and then going around and starting talking to other groups, you know, if I talk to a Rotary or an Elf Club, invariably one or two guys would get up and say, hey, I was in World War II. I served in the Navy or I served in the Army or whatever. And uh, during research on this book, I met a gentleman back in Wisconsin that said, have you ever heard of the Honor Flight Program? And I hadn't. He went out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the Stars and Stripes Honor Flight Hub. And when I listened to that veteran share his experience of going back to Washington, D.C., seeing the World War II memorial and other memorials and getting thanked for serving his country, which nobody had ever done before to him. I said, this is something I got to check out. And uh, after I got the book published, I found that uh, there was a gentleman over in Bend, Oregon that had started up Eastern Oregon Honor Flight. I contacted him, went to a couple of uh, meetings with him and some veterans groups over in Bend. He told me about a lady in Grants Pass that had started Honor Flight of Oregon originally trying to cover the whole state and had, you know, God, like 300 and 400 applications sent to her from national headquarters. So I was going to just help her out a little bit, maybe doing some fundraising. And the next thing with her encouraging, I started South Willamette Valley Honor Flight and got the charter in 
March of 2012, and we cover Lane, Lynn, Lincoln, and Benton County, Oregon, the four county area, Lane and the three adjacent counties north. We started raising money and fundraising in uh, 2012. We are a nonprofit organization registered uh, and certified. We uh, made our first honor flight in October of 2012, and we took 50 World War II veterans from the four county area. And the program has grown from there. Uh, the last honor flight we were able to make uh, in October of 2019, nothing last year because of COVID and the pandemic, but we've transported now, uh, I think a 704 World War II Korea and Vietnam veterans back to Washington, DC from the four county area. Now somebody's on here right now saying, I want to send my dad on a flight and all the information is in the comment section of how to get a hold of honor flights so you can talk with them as well. If they're from our four county area, they can look at the hub for South Willamette Valley Honor Flight. If they're from outside of this area, they, the link is there to National Honor Flight Headquarters. Uh, link, link into that one, and there's a separate link for hubs. Click on that, go to the state you're in, and it'll tell you where the closest hub is to you so you can get an application and get registered. So tell me about my honor. That This is your well, new book. That's the most recent book, and in getting to know some of these veterans from this area and, and around the coast and stuff that had gone on our honor flights, I started having breakfast, lunches with them, just going and chatting, and I'd hear more and more of their stories. And I finally said, I'm hearing so much, I think there's another book here. And the five gentlemen that allowed me to share their life stories in this book, growing up in the Depression, what they did in World War II and what they did to go on and with life after World War II, uh, I was trying to come up with a title for this book because it does contain five biographies. And I do talk about the formation of uh, South Willamette Honor Flight Hub and, and what we've done. But the the stories they had to share just needed to be shared uh, in writing. The uh, it, was a, it was a challenging task. The first book took three years from start to finish. The second book, three years start to finish. But the, these five veterans, uh, their stories need to be kept alive. They're part of the history of this country. The young people in this day and age get very, very little about World War II in their history classes anymore. They, you know, they might be lucky enough to watch the History Channel or, or some of the documentaries that have been made about various uh, battlefronts in World War II. But these men, are they're their personal stories of what they experienced, of what they went through. Uh, one of them uh, served Army Air Corps like my dad, except unlike my dad, who was able to complete his 30 missions, this gentleman on about his 10th mission went down and he spent the balance of the war in a German POW camp. Two of the veterans served in the South Pacific and uh, saw experiences on Bougainville and Iwo Jima and Okinawa and unbelievable uh, the battles they went through. Uh, two of them are Pearl Harbor veterans both December 7th, 1941 in Pearl Harbor and their experiences and then what they did through the battle uh, battles in the balance of the war. I was trying to figure out what to call the book because it's got so many different facets to it. And I finally figured out these men were honoring me and all of the readers by allowing their stories to be, uh, stories to be shared. And that's where I came up with the title because it truly has been my honor to be able to share their stories. So, Talk to me about why you think this is so timely right now um, with what we're going through. And, you know, and because these guys, I mean, it's almost 
I'm, I'm going to just go there a little bit. It's almost like freedom has become a, a nasty word. It's like a word. If you say freedom, uh, it, it's, it's in our culture today. It's almost like the new F word. And I, I don't understand that. But that's really what these people were fighting for is our ability to be able to have free speech, to talk about the things, to, to disagree. And so this book is a if this history gets lost, where what, what happens to us as a country? Well, you know, there's an old saying, if you don't learn from history, history repeats itself. <clears throat> the, uh, the, in writing the first book, I came to two sad realities, if you will. World War II was the last war our country truly fought to win, to finish the war and end it. Last time this country was truly united behind the war effort was clear back in the 1940s in World War II. Our country, and the World War II memorial reflects this, our whole country was involved in World War II, whether they were serving in the military or supporting the military by growing crops, saving gum wrappers, nylons, whatever else, gas rationing, food rationing. It was at the World War II memorial, you see bronze reliefs of women working in the factories, putting together planes and tanks, of right. farmers out in the field growing crops. It was a united States of America at that time. Do you think, do you hope that by reading the book, maybe people will see something that we're missing? The unity that this country experienced back in World War II and that 408,000 Americans gave their life for during World War II is something that shouldn't be forgotten. I mean, we need to remember it. When you go to the World War II Memorial, Unlike the Vietnam Wall, which is very sobering with the 58,000 names on it, they have a, a, a wall of stars, a wall of honor, if you will, with 4,084, I think, is the number of stars, gold stars. Each one of those stars represents 100 Americans that were killed in action are still listed to this day, missing in action from World War II. Around the world in World War II, which was a truly global war, over 60 million Combatants and civilians lost their lives around the world during World War II. We had combat missions where, well, the 8th Air Force that my dad flew in, twice the 8th Air Force went after ball bearing plants in Schweitzer, Germany in 1943. And each time they lost over 40 bombers, over 400 men on each mission. Can you imagine turning on the news tonight and finding out we lost 400 men in Afghanistan? Right. What would that do? It was a horrific, horrific war, and, and the history of our country is really based on so much. A lot of historians now refer to World War II as the defining event of the 20th century. It changed so, our whole world. So that brings us to our other guest. <laughs> We're going to take everybody back a century. Vince Newman, how yep. are you? You're live with us now, Vince. Yes, I'm with you. <laughs> Vince is 98 years old, um, and what? Where did tell him where you served, Vince? Okay, in the in the war. I served in the AEF, American Exiled in Florida. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. Anyway, I, okay. I when the war started. I was working for American Talent. I had to get uh, 
uh, leave from them in order to join the Navy because it was a covered job. So I signed up for naval aviation. I spent 16 months at Aviation Cadet flying everything from a Piper Cub up to a dive bomber and uh, flying off carriers and the whole thing. And then when it was about the end of the war, they needed flight instructors. So they took me out of dive bombers and off of carriers and put me into a flight instructor school. And I taught people to fly in the clouds, instrument flying, they call it, where so, you don't see anything outside except buzz. Oh. So Vince, Vince, tell tell him what you told me. Like, okay, so every parent should imagine teaching your child how to drive a car, and that's what you did in the air <laughs> with with Robin. Correct. You have the same problem. Cadets are nothing but kids that just learned to drive, and they they got so cocky because they could drive that they drive crazy. Outside the envelope, I call it, and they'd meet trees head on, that type of thing. Cadets did the same thing. They start out, and they're very cautious, but they get a certain amount of cockiness, and they start getting careless with the airplane, and it won't forgive you. So, Vince, tell me why is it so important that Mike is doing what he's doing with these books and with honor flight and all of that. Why is that so important to, to veterans like yourself? Honor flight is, it's extremely important. I initially heard of the honor flight from my brother who took it out of Wisconsin. And uh, I signed up, took me a couple of years to get there before they had enough money to, to buy me a meal. So anyway, uh, the honor flight was the greatest thing that ever happened in outside of the other stuff uh, like uh, wartime and living through it. But the honor flight told me when we got off the airplane in Washington, D.C., and a lot of young kids were there thanking us for our service. First time I'd ever been thanked for our service. Wow. And they were surrounding you. You walk down the street in Washington. The kids are coming, adults are coming, they're thanking you. And it still heart makes me feel great to have that, to think that we were thanked for that time. And it was because of Mike and the work that he did to setting up the honor flight in our area and building up the funds. And as a result of that, I have sometimes been even instrumental in helping Mike get funds for newer honor flights. So uh, I owe it to Mike, I owe it to the honor flight people and the experience that you've had. Uh, I remember walking toward the Iwo Jima Memorial and there was a guy walking alongside of me and he gets to, oh, about 30 feet away from it, he starts crying. And he says, oh, my God, he says, I can't stand that. He says, I spent too much time trying to get there. And uh, that's one of the things that the honor flight has done. They have thanked these guys for doing what they've done to make that flag fly.
not the flag they're trying to burn, but the flag that I'm proud that I tried to help keep alive. So Vince, so, so, so Vince, you fought for my freedom, right? I did. I I did that so that we didn't have to speak Japanese or German. And when you see the way that freedom is treated today, right now, what are your thoughts? It irritates me. It makes me mad because it means that there's somebody that doesn't appreciate what they have, and they have something that nobody else in the world has, and that's freedom. So that's do the, this. The chance to go and hold that flag and, and bitch about it. What did you say? I say. We had a chance to make sure that people could carry the flag and a parade and be proud of it, not that they could carry the flag so they could burn it. I didn't work for that. And it wow. irritates me. It should be illegal to just desecrate the flag. So that's then, what we were for. What? What does that do to your soul when, when you see that? When you see that happening, what does that do to your soul? It frustrates me because I, I wonder why the hell did we raise people that have that attitude? Where did they get that attitude? I, I, I don't understand. These people who... Uh, Climb up there and break into the Capitol building. Why? What, what What are they fighting for? They're not fighting for us. They're fighting for the opportunity to break things. And what do you, when, when, you see, when you see what's going on in Portland right now and other West Coast cities where rioters are battling with police and tearing up uh, federal property, what does that what does that say to you? That says that something is wrong and with the people that now think that they don't have anything right. They've, they've got to tear down everything there is because it's their right to tear it down. And I can't, can't handle that. I, uh, is that not it, what you, you didn't fight for that? Well, absolutely not. No. And uh, so do this for me, Vince, because you're a smart guy and you're almost a century old and you're a sage and we should listen to what you say because you were there and you did this. So tell me, what does freedom mean? I'm so sick of hearing people twist the meaning of it. I want to know from you, a man who fought in the war, who fought for our country, trained people to fight the war in our country. What is the freedom? What is the freedom that you fought for? My, okay. To me, freedom goes back to the fact that my parents raised me during the bottle of the Depression. Dad lost four jobs in two years because every outfit went bankrupt. And he raised his kids under those conditions. I was fortunate that the United States of America allowed me to get a, an education, to get out of high school, 
to get a job. Uh, I was fortunate I got a job with AT&T right out of, out of high school. Then I got another job called the uh, U.S. Navy. But I didn't have, that one was basically a choice of that or ground pounding. And uh, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to fly. But it gave me a chance to start out flat broke, nothing. And I have built my own life, made my own money. I've been fortunate that I could start my own company with 3,500 borrowed money, borrowed dollars. And I retired with quite a bit of property and, and money and a uh, warehouse building that I own free and clear. And a lot of inventory that I own free and clear. I sold that. Bought a motor home. My wife and I traveled for about 100,000 miles in the motor home. But that was a result of the fact that the United States allowed me to do this from a flat broke kid to being able to retire 30 years ago and still live on the money I made then. Although I'm just about to have road. <laughs> Money wise and <laughs> yeah, you, you you try to figure out which one's going to last longer, right? Um, so <laughs> it was my program to go broke the day I buy die, but I'm a little bit. Yeah, my my financial people told me they figured out mine and my wife's and how long I can live, and I got till ninety eight, and my wife gets till ninety nine. So I said, okay, honey, I'm dying first, and I get till ninety eight to so I get to live till ninety eight. Otherwise, I have no money at that point. I'm going to go have to get a well, second job. Please plan it. My wife died five years ago. I'm sorry. And, uh, and well, I am too, but uh, we had a great life. And I was fortunate that I had 70 years with her. Wow. In spite of her putting up with everything that I was doing. Yeah. She I, was yeah. pretty good. Guy. You seem like I a even tough did some of that. We need to do. <laughs> Um, okay, so your question. <laughs> so um, Vince, I really, first of all, everybody on here, you can't see this, but I can read this to you. People are coming on. They can comment while they're on here and they're all thanking you for your service. And they're thanking Mike oh, for. Okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. See, there, we there, are. there you go. There's his shirt. He's got the advertising going there. So, so Vince, let me ask you one more thing. I'm going to ask Mike another thing about the book, but one more question for you. So when you get up every morning, what do you hope? I will hope that I'm able to stand out there and get breakfast. <laughs> I, I do a lot of reading. I, uh, when I can do it, I respect. I restored some old cars for myself, and I, I gathered a lot of old car parts, and I still have some of them. COVID has taken care of that because the opportunity to have swap meets and car club people getting together is gone. For, and so my car parts sit out in my daughter's garage, and uh, neither one of us are happy that they can't be gotten rid of. <laughs> but anyway... I still mow the yard once in a while, and uh, you mow the lawn. Oh yeah, yeah, supposed to. 
grass grows green, I I can run the lawnmower because it's not as big as it used to be. <laughs> well, I want to be you when I'm 98. These are the things, Rick, these are the things that keep you able to do things. My dad did the same things. He was doing things, had a little shop in the basement of his house. He restored old furniture for people. That kept him alive. And finally, when he was 96, I talked him into stopping that because he was working around the power saw too damn long. And I was worried about him and the saw meeting together. When I did that, moved him out of his house to an apartment with my mother. And uh, he didn't last long because he didn't have any tools to play with. So is that the key to, to staying alive, you think, is your health? Obviously, you're healthy, but you also, your mind is working, you're reading every day, and you have something to do. That's important. Exactly. You're, right. When I, yeah, when I worked for the AT&T, it was standard for people to retire and die within six years because none of them had an extra hobby, something to keep them busy. You don't keep this going. And this computer between your ears is going to die for non-use. So you got to keep it going. You got to keep thinking. Okay, and so here's my last thing I want to tell you. Somebody on here, Tom Hunt, came on, and he's saying that he thinks that um, Mike needs to sit down and talk with you in your third book. So you don't go anywhere yet. We, we need to get – people love your stories. They like the way you are. You're a cool guy, Vincent. I think you're a really cool dude. Well, my restoration days are done because last time I got under an old car, I had to take a forklift to get me out. Well, <laughs> it was just too much. So I, I quit that. I sold my old cars. and I have one collector car that I, I want to sell. But uh, anyway, uh, that one is done. I don't have to do anything with it. And uh, I just well, spend more time. Working with my tools, just can work. But keep well, them keep them going. Hey, thank yeah. you, thank you for making yeah. the time to be on the show today. Okay, Rick, I thank you very much for the opportunity. It's very kind of you. And uh, on behalf of Honor Flight, uh, keep pitching it because Mike, thank you, and keep it going and. Whatever I can do to help you, please let me know. Because uh, right. it's one of the most worthwhile things I'm doing now. Is just whatever I can do to get the more money in the pot to get more people there. Okay, I thought That's one my, more thing. Vince, really quick, I thought of one more thing I have to ask you. When you were there, what made you cry? When I was what? When you were in D.C. Uh, and you saw the memorial... What made you cry? It, I didn't, I wasn't in the fighting war. I was always in the teaching war, the training war, learning to fire. So I wasn't having anybody shoot at me. <clears throat> but it didn't stop me from seeing one of my friends get killed. I had 
in my dive bomber training, I had, there were 12 of us. 10 of us lived through a nine month period of time. They carry, we di killed 98 pilots in nine months in wow. training at one base. So it, you didn't have to be shot at. Anyway, um, that's, that's over and done with and uh, I'm still breathing and that's good. And I hope I can help Mike get more money for honor flight because the more money we get, the more people can go and the more people can get the enjoyment that I have had from it. <laughs> it did my, uh, my printer a lot of good because I have a whole big bunch of pictures that I took. And I think a lot of people are full of pictures from an outer flight. In fact, there are some pretty good sized books on it. But thank you, Mike. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate right, the Pat. time. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. What a great guy. Yeah, he is. You know, God, just, yeah, just brings up so many things. I, I want to say, how do you top that? <laughs> you know, yeah, because it's like he was saying, it, it really, it, it, it pains me to see what you fight for. And I know he didn't fight in the war, but to train pilots like that, that's still, that all counts to me and to all of us. And you fight for something and then you see it drifting away and people the, where, we're, where we're at right now. And that brings up a good point, Rick, that I should bring here for any other veterans that are listening. Uh, Vince is a good example. You do not have to be a veteran that saw combat in any of these wars, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, the Cold War period. Because when you're called to serve, there's many, many different ways to serve. My dad told me, you know, he was one of a 10-man crew on a B-17, but he also recognized that there were literally hundreds of men and women on the ground at that air base taking care of all the activities and the things besides maintenance on the planes, you know, loading the... Uh, machine gun uh, uh, bandoliers that went on, on board for shooting at the German fighters, the bomb loaders that loaded the plane, the fuel men. Everybody is called to serve in some way. So honor flight, if you served our country, you're qualified for the honor flight. So Mike, again, the information, the books are both available now. Yes. And how much are they? Uh, actually, it depends upon the location. If people go to my website for a signed book, uh, I sell them for $15 plus $5 postage, shipping and handling. Okay. So $20, which is about the average price that you'll find on Amazon and at Outskirts Press as well. Okay. So I put all the information at the top. You can go in, Mike, also, and answer anybody's questions if you want and put a, um, in the comment section, put that on there. What okay. you can do for us is share this on your page so more people know because if they have a family member or you have a kid, um, a, you know, a, a youngster in your house, um, this might be something that a teenager or a 20 something or 30 something might wanna sit down and read to get a better picture of what the world really, why we're the way we were. That makes sense, Mike? Makes sense to me. That's one of the reasons I wrote the two books was so that younger people could learn about this part of our history. Well, thank you for connecting and thank you for sponsoring the show, Mike. And I, I wish you luck. 
I will put this on Instagram. It'll be on our podcast. It'll be on other pages. I already shared it on a bunch while you were talking. Go ahead. Can I make one plug? You should. Yes. Yes, I started South Willamette Valley Honor Flight, and I appreciate the compliments that Vince gave and stuff, but I want to thank all the members of the South Willamette Valley Honor Flight organization. Uh, I stepped aside several years ago as the director, Ed Bach, uh, out of Albany as the current director. But we have board members, we have volunteers, dozens and dozens of people that help make this hub work and help raise the money to get the veterans back to D.C. I want to thank them all. All right. Mike? Punchagar, thank you so much for being here and uh, get a hold of that book. Thank you for the plug. <laughs> You're welcome, my friend. I'll see you later. So there you go. Um, so a man hears a story from his dad kind of by accident when dad's just in the mood to talk and it turns into uh, a book and then a second book. Um, and I don't think we can ever read enough about uh, our past, because I think we see a lot of our future. Um, we can see a lot of our future in, the, in, in what has happened in the past. And like Mike was saying, I think it was Mike, if you don't learn uh, from history, it will repeat itself. And we don't want that to happen. Um, I'll tell you, when I get to talk to somebody like Vince, <laughs> it's like, I never had a grandpa. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's just, you know, I don't know. But I just think it's like sitting there and I feel like you get the chance to just read a book. You get to be a part of something that's bigger than you. It's like a, a documentary that doesn't have anybody else's stuff mixed in with it. It's just pure his story. And there's an honor. You know what I mean? When you're sitting and talking to someone who's nearly 100, there's just this honor that, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That was... I feel like I'm sitting next to my grandpa and just having a conversation and learning a whole bunch. And I think that's what Mike's books can do for you too. It's just to sit and read something that's true. <laughs> that really did happen without the Hollywood stuff. Um, and then I think Mike, I think if you're still listening, you should write a book on this. I think he'd be an awesome subject. Oh, here goes my train. So again, what you guys can do for us and Mike, is to share this on your page so other people see it. Um, order a book. If you know somebody, uh, you got a kid that's home bored and not learning anything in school, here's something they can sit down and learn with. Now, what's coming up later this week? Well, I have the magic calendar here, so I will tell you. Um, tomorrow, um, New Leaf Hyperbarics with Matt McCarl, they, you know, they're, they, they have these hyperbaric chambers that you lay in. But people with different abilities who are in wheelchairs can't use them. So now he's getting a big chamber. He's getting built tomorrow and put in tomorrow, installed. And you can just put a wheelchair. You can ride it right into the chamber and get the hyperbaric treatment. So I, I have a brother-in-law who uh, lives his life in a wheelchair. And I am so dang excited about that for him. Um, it's at 5 o'clock. And then on Wednesday, the Buck Stops Here is going to be our contest that we're doing. Um, if you know someone who, um, what, what we had happen was Rich over at Rogers Gardens gave us $1,000 because he wants to help restaurants and people. So we're giving $200 to five different restaurants and then we're giving away 10 gift cards to those five restaurants. So well, we need your nomination. So if you know somebody who would be a perfect fit for this, who really would be a great story, go to rickdancer.com and fill out the form. Go under contest and fill out the form and we're gonna pick them at the end of the month. But we're gonna do a show there at Addie's in Springfield 
um, at around 1230 on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, <laughs> I have the next Rick Dancer for you. This is a story I found myself online. I was tripping through them some things and a local boy, I think he's 10 years old and he's at Willamette Christian School. And he kind of has some, um, he's just had a hard time, like all of us did sometimes at 10. But he made a microphone. He made this little fake microphone and he went around and started interviewing his fellow students. And it's been a connection for him to other kids in a way that he couldn't connect before. So he's found a way to connect. So then the school sees how important this is to this little boy. And they gave him a newscast every week, a two minute newscast where he gets on and in front of the whole school and all their family and friends online, he does his own little newscast. But you think that's awesome? It's my favorite story. So that's going to be on Thursday at five. We're going to talk to him, find out what his journalism career is about and how this all started. So, um, yeah, that's what we do here. We go from 98-year-old Vince to a 10-year-old kid. And what are they doing? They're both changing the world. That's what it's all about, guys. And you have to be active to change the world. The world's not going to change by you sitting on your butt and doing nothing and complaining. You got to go fight for it. And that's what you learn today is life is about fighting for what you want. Good night.